thank you for listening to this message brought to you by Living Word Church. We trust that as you hear the Word of God preached, you'll be encouraged and equipped to love God and do His will. If you're looking for a church home, please feel free to visit our Sunday morning worship service at 10 a.m. or visit our website at www.livingwordchurch.cc. And now for our message. I want to just, um, Tony, come on, get set up. and I want to give 30 seconds just as a review. We're doing a small five-week, four-week series uh, called The Bruised Read. In Isaiah 42, the scripture says, speaking of Jesus, that a bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. And it reflects something very precious in God's heart that I want us to experience. That most leaders, when they're in power, they tend to crush the weak so they can get higher. They tend to use other people to strengthen their own position. This is a human reality. It is part of the brokenness of sin, and it is prominent in our world. We see that. No one with power gives it up. They use it to sustain themselves. Well, the scripture says, and this is the heart of God, that God who made all of creation, who sustains all of creation, who is redeeming creation, God who is the almighty one, who is all powerful in his strength, in his power, he defends the weak. A bruised reed is the, is the weakest of, 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 of things. A reed itself is not strong, but a broken reed is the wind itself. A small breeze could blow it down. But the scripture says that God himself in his strength sustains and protects the broken, the vulnerable, the weak. And I want for us to capture God's heart for, for one reason, because we are bruised reeds, right? In the Isaiah 42 passage, he's speaking of Israel. That God's people themselves are broken, bruised, and vulnerable people. But it's more than that. It's we as God's people have to reflect God's heart to champion and defend and support those who are in vulnerable positions. And so today, Tony, he's going to share with us God's heart for the stranger. He's going to do it. I'm not going to try to preach a sermon, but um, he is specifically capable, able, and actively, actively caring for and supporting the refugee and the immigrant among us. And so um, he's from the Welcome Network. He, he's the president, CEO, chieftain, what do they call you? Director. Director of the Welcome Network. So again, welcome him as he shares with us. Thank you. Thank you. Complimenting my ears. All right. We good? I can use this. Okay. I think we'll be all right. All right. Thank you. I was going to ask somebody to help with this podium because I feel like Dave probably preaches and I don't quite preach. I am more of an encourager kind of type and hopefully we'll do a little teaching and strategically making you all uncomfortable a little bit today. I think that might be called prophecy. But um, I, I benefit. This is the first time I've been able to join you on a, on a Sunday morning, although I've, I've been here on a Friday evening before, uh, joining in some worship times. But first time on a Sunday morning, but 
Living Word, you, you benefit from your reputation. I attend Mercy Hill Church. I've been attending there for four years. And knowing that Living Word was part of planting Mercy Hill Church and that uh, you employed a man named John Leitzel, who is now our pastor, I know so much about you because of that. And your ministry has preceded you. So I just want to thank you for the ministry that you have given to me personally and to my family and to those at Mercy Hill. So thank you. I'm going to be starting a little bit vulnerably today, and I'll share by starting a, uh, sharing a small secret with you, and that is that my plan for my life was not the Welcome Network. Uh, seven years ago, I was blissfully ignorant, working in a different ministry missionary context. Six years ago, my life was in crisis, and five years ago, the Welcome Network began. God sees what we cannot see. Um, this past week, I attended something called the Global Leadership Conference, and it's, a, it's many leaders speaking on different themes, and most of them said in one way or another that what they were doing with their lives is not what they thought they would be doing with their lives. Uh, my story, other people's stories, people who say this isn't what I thought I'd be doing with my life, they're reflected in a very significant moment in church history. And I want to look at that for a moment. You don't have to go there. I'll tell the story a little bit, but it's in Acts chapter 10. And in Acts chapter 10, we find Peter, the apostle, and he's taking a probably well-deserved long weekend at his friend's house at the beach. Peter's chosen to follow Jesus and to preach the gospel to Jews around Israel and to take the message of the Messiah to his people. We remember that Jesus told Peter, tend my sheep, feed my lambs. And Peter's most likely thinking, I got this because we know Peter. I got this. I got this, God. I'm not going to read it. The story has a lot of repetition to it, but you may remember that Peter's on the rooftop. He's praying. A favorite pastime for those of us in ministry is to get away once or twice a year, maybe find a quiet spot, reflect, recharge, rest, eat some good food. Peter gets hungry, but the retreat center doesn't have the food ready yet. So he calls Uber Eats and he gets some bombers. He doesn't do that. He, he has to wait for his food. He continues his little retreat, and he falls into a nap while waiting. And here at this point, Peter's retreat takes a little bit of a U-turn. Actually, Peter's life gets interrupted and rerouted. And it starts with this daydream, a vision. And in the vision, Peter sees a white sheet coming down from the sky, and there's all sorts of animals on it that, as a Jewish pe person... Peter knows not to eat. Maybe rock badgers and snakes and frogs and things that we would also find less than appetizing. But you probably also have a porky pig or babe the pig on there, things that we would find very appetizing. And uh, there's a few pictures I, I found of different interpretations of this moment. So you could go to the slide there. Uh, this is kind of one of the more traditional pictures. And then if you go to the next one, this one's a little interesting to me. He looks a little like Kramer from Seinfeld. And there are hot dogs and lobsters, and I think there's even hot pockets up at the top of the, of the picture. And a voice tells Peter 
to kill and eat these animals, and despite his hunger, Peter reacts in disgust. Of course not, God. These animals are not for Jews to eat. I'm part of your people. I follow you. I obey you. But the voice comes again, and he tells Peter, he changes the script a little bit. He says, what God has made clean, do not call common. And the thing even happens a third time. And this might be a form of God lovingly chastising Peter the way Peter probably remembers Jesus asked Peter three times if he loved him. And so maybe by the third time the message is received. Maybe. A lot of us husbands out there might need to receive that message at least three times as well. But then the story zooms out beyond Peter's little rooftop retreat, and we get an idea that God is doing something bigger. Because at the same time, God has sent a message through an angel to Cornelius, a good non-Christian man. So we can go to the slide here. Let me repeat that, a good non-Christian man. First of all, living word, can we even accept that? The world wants us to see enemies in other people. God wants us to see other people with love. The world wants to define evil as the other, the stranger. God wants us to take a message to lost and loving, God-fearing people. The world wants enemies we can see with our eyes and defeat. But God shows us strangers who are themselves tormented by the same real enemies that torment us. The world wants us to see non-Christians as something to fear, but God wants us to see non-Christians as someone to embrace and love into the kingdom. I know you guys are a little louder than some of the other churches, so can you, can you amen that one? So this Roman soldier, Cornelius, this God-fearing, not-yet-Christian man, is being pursued by God, and the angel tells Cornelius who Peter is, what he's doing, where he's at. And Cornelius, this leader of a hundred soldiers, sends for Peter. The short story is that this is the very first moment where the early church understands that the message of salvation, the message of love and purpose and freedom and redemption through Jesus Christ, it's for everyone. It's not just for Jewish people. It's not just for the, quote, people of God. And Cornelius, this is like such a great story, uh, story of, of success, because Cornelius, his people, his family, they believe. They're baptized. They start speaking in tongues. It's a spirit-filled, undeniable moment. Peter was just trying to get some rest before his next synagogue stop. And instead, he finds himself in the middle of changing history. He actually has to document this, so he pulls out his iPhone and he throws a video up on YouTube. <laughs> you know, when our Mercy Hill team went to Lebanon this past summer with the Welcome Network, we asked some of the Syrian refugee kids, kids who've been born and have lived in a tent most of their life, what they want to do when they grow up, and many of them said, YouTuber, YouTuber. <laughs> I didn't even know that was a job, but... In the days before iPhones and YouTube influencers and cameras in every pocket, or cameras in any pockets, Peter's like, my Jewish background Christian friends are not going to believe me, so I have to bring some people with me. And, and they're going to corroborate his story. And so here's the point in the story of the scriptures. We begin 
at this point in the story of the scriptures, we begin to see Paul's story appear a lot more and Peter blend a little bit into the backdrop because this is the moment where the gospel spreads out. And by the way, Cornelius, who is he? He's an immigrant soldier with a work visa leading occupying enemy troops. One of my favorite stories in the scripture because Peter should not really have been in that situation if Peter was thinking like Peter. Uh, It's the moment when the gospel goes from a sliver, a little strip of land along the Mediterranean to, to the world. It's the big bang of the Great Commission and it begins with an immigrant soldier. But going back to verse 17, just as Peter has the vision, but before he meets Cornelius, uh, there's, there's a verse that the vision goes away. The three time, it happens the three times. Peter pulls out of his trance, and the verse says, now Peter was doubting in himself what this vision he had seen should mean. Another version says, he was inwardly perplexed. Can we say that we've been there with Peter? We've been there. We're with Peter here. I'm not going to make your, you turn to your neighbor and say you've been there, but we can agree that we've been there, inwardly perplexed, and what is God asking of us, especially when it conflicts with our culture, and welcoming the stranger at this time in our culture conflicts with our culture. Peter was on a vacation, having a quiet time on the roof, waiting for his seaside lunch. His timeline was rest, eat, peace, quiet. God's timeline was, it's time for us to change history a little bit, Peter. Uh, In May of 2013, I'd been working for Campus Crusade for Christ for 13 years, and I joyfully told people, I'm going to either die or retire with Campus Crusade for Christ. But by April of 2014, I had launched the Welcome Network. It's a different story for another day, but sometimes God takes us on a diversion. And that diversion is often messy and uncomfortable and humbling and messy again. And sometimes it's even our sin or the sin of others that interact and bring that diversion about. And that's such a huge part of working with immigrants and refugees. It's sin, it's war. It's violence, it's drug cartels, it's profiteers, it's politics and greed and evil men and the plans of the enemy from the pit of hell that have driven so many of these from their home, either fleeing for their lives or at least looking for a better life. And we live somewhat in that gray when we welcome the stranger. And it's also such a huge part of working with immigrants and refugees because working with immigrants and refugees interrupts us. It interrupts us. When someone we're serving doesn't have a car to get around and their child gets sick and you just sat down after dinner to watch the game or read a book, it might not be go tell a Roman soldier about the Messiah, but it might be go love a Congolese friend and help their daughter get to urgent care. And when these nudgings come in the form of interruption or discomfort or sacrifice, God's giving us an opportunity for people to be loved into the kingdom. Uh, when I was a new Christian, you can go to the next slide, I, one of the first things that people told me to do was to pray for the 1040 window. I didn't know what that was. I still can't explain the name. It has to do with latitude and longitude, and I hated geography. But it stands for a part of the world with more than 2 billion people who haven't had a chance to hear the gospel. And we were college students praying that God would do something, and you know what I thought would happen? 
I thought God would let secret missionaries in to start secret little churches and that a few people from these countries would be able to become part of every tribe and tongue and nation. But what's happened instead, well, let me tell you some of the countries in the 1040 window. Afghanistan, Eritrea, Iran, Iraq, Palestine, Jordan, Laos, Lebanon, Myanmar, which is also called Burma, Nepal, Pakistan, Sudan, Syria, Vietnam, Vietnam and Yemen. If this rings familiar, it's because it's basically a list of where most of the world's refugees are coming from right now. Or were coming from when we had a refugee program. God is giving us an answer to our prayers from decades ago. He's giving us an answer, and it's not a comfortable answer for us, church. But he's giving us an answer. We're, be, we're being given an opportunity. The nations are coming, and the Great Commission is at our doorstep. So anyway, in 2014, I wasn't sitting on a rooftop, but God spoke to me. And in the middle of this crisis, he said something about the Welcome Network. And I thought, like, this should work. <laughs> People, individuals, churches, pastors, had been supporting mission work, my mission work for years. American Christians believe in the Great Commission. They believe in missions. This thought of welcoming the stranger should be a no-brainer. Well, those were my thoughts in 2014, before the Paris attacks, before the last election cycle and all the back and forth on both sides, before the travel ban, before the refugee system got basically shut down, before immigrants became a political weapon on both sides, before plans for the wall and this new era of fearfulness. So I started down a road that has oftentimes left us perplexed like Peter, but also given us moments of awe and wonder and grace as ministry always does. Dave wanted me to share mostly stories and up till now I've Mostly not done that. Um, but I'll share a few stories. Let's go to the next slide. The first thing I did in 2014 was decode what do immigrants in Chicago and Northwest Indiana need. And one thing they need, which wasn't really being offered in this area, was for free or at least cheap help with immigrant legal stuff. I'll tell you guys, it's really difficult for someone to stay here legally with the amount of bureaucracy and confusion over the papers and the evidence and it's always convoluted and the laws are always changing. So I took a bunch of classes and I did something, again, I never thought I'd be doing with my life and I became accredited to practice immigration law. And then I waited because you can't just put up flyers for this stuff. But my first client was a man named Ramesh. He's on the right there with me. He called and asked me if I could help him become a citizen. Ramesh was an engineer back in India and his sister had a chance to come to the United States, and she, she petitioned for Ramesh. And what that means is that um, if you're a sibling who becomes an American, you can ask the government for your other siblings to come. But typically, there's a long quota line for them. And so Ramesh waited 14 years after his sister petitioned for him to be able to come here legally. And so in that time, uh, he turned 65. That's when he came into the United States. 51 years old was when his sister asked the government, and then 65 is when he got here. And he had gone through a divorce many years before. He was alone here. He came. He got his green card. A year after he got here, his sister passed away. 
And two years after he got here, he developed heart problems. So uh, the nurse who helped Ramesh in Illinois recover from his surgery, she was a Christian, and she gave him a Bible and a picture of Jesus, and she prayed for him. And I asked him why he called our office, because he was our first client and nobody knew about us. He said he found out about our services from the Internet. He saw we're a Christian organization, and since the nurse who prayed for him was a Christian and he got better, he told me, quote, Christians have always been lucky for me. <laughs> I've met Ramesh six times in my life. I met him that day. I met him another time when he dropped off documents that I needed to help him. I met him a third time when I went to his naturalization interview. I met him a fourth time when he, I went to see him take his oath of citizenship. And twice he's invited me out for meals, once to Denny's and once to an Indian restaurant. Um, by the way, we do this part of things because that's how the immigrant community has come to know us now in, North, in, in our area, in Illinois, in, North, in Northwest Indiana. And that's why people call our office from the immigrant community is for these services. From our American mentality, a, play, a person like Ramesh, I would call that person a client or maybe a work colleague or maybe an acquaintance. But Ramesh calls me his little brother. We talked about the gospel. He's invited us on vacation with him. When we welcome the stranger, we regain a piece of our lost belonging in the, as the church. Uh, last October, I was invited to a conference of Christians in North America who serve immigrants and refugees. Small group of people, you can imagine. It was two days, and my wife Jenny and I, or she decided to come with, and so it began with really great worship, and I was settling into two days of that Peter on the rooftop kind of mentality. Eat some good food, get some quiet time, get some rest, and then God totally ruined that when I met a woman from Texas. Uh, she runs an immigrant homeless shelter down there, and we started talking, and she told me her shelter was full. And that didn't surprise me. It shouldn't surprise us if the immigrant shelters down in Texas are full. But I asked her where most of the people were coming from, and then she kind of white-sheeted me, uh, you know, kind of surprised me. And she said most of, them were com most of her shelter was full of people from the Congo. And I already told you I hate geography. And that's what I told Jennifer. I hate geography, but I don't think Congo is south of Texas. Can you tell me? Can you... Con <laughs> Can you confirm that for me? And she confirmed this, and she explained to me how Congolese people are ending up down at the Texas border. And fascinating and tragic, I can send you a 30-minute documentary about that if you want. But at this point, the Holy Spirit and Jennifer have now conspired at that moment to emotionally manipulate me. And I say the following words, and as I'm saying them, I'm regretting them. And it's like slow motion coming from my mouth. I know Indiana is a long way from Texas, but how can we help? I know Indiana is a long way from Texas, but how can we help? And some days I wish, she said, prayer and warm thoughts. <laughs> but there's a video that Lacey Blonde, is Lacey here today? Is she part of uh, living? She's, she's, okay, she's part of Hope. Well, part of LifeLink has made this video uh, that explains a little bit about the rest of this story. So if we can... Um, kind of cue that video up and, and look at it. And it is a few minutes. It's, a, it's about seven, eight minutes long, so I'll just step to the side while we watch this. Hi, I'm Steve, and this is my wife, Amy. We have three boys, Ian, Seth, and Norman, 
and we have been members of Mercy Hill for about five years now. I knew Tony from the Welcome Network, and I was aware of what he was doing with the refugees, and I, I really liked that. Um, we were around November. Um, there was a family that had come here that we invited over, and um, they were from the Congo. You know, after they were here, Amy and I started thinking about maybe, you know, maybe we could host a family. And so Amy was really up for it. Um, and I was a little more hesitant. And in around December, Tony contacted us and told us of a family that was a mom, dad, and a newborn baby that, was, that needed a place. And um, so I called Amy, and we were talking about it. And by the time I got back to Tony, he had already found a home for them. And I remember at that time when that happened, my heart kind of sank. And I, I just kind of felt like, yeah, we, we need to do this. Then there was a second, a couple weeks later, um, Tony contacted me with a second family, and I contacted Amy, told, we talked about it for a minute, and when I got back, again, they had found somebody else to, to um, take care of them. So Amy told me, the next time this happens, don't even call me, just say yeah. <laughs> so we were a host family to a family of three, a dad, mom, and uh, their five-year-old daughter. Um, they had come from the Congo, and for political reasons, they were afraid for their lives, so they needed to leave. Um, and their journey took about 13 months, and it was, they went to a neighboring country in Africa, and then from there, got to Cuba, and Cuba sent them down to Ecuador, uh, and then, you know, country by country, they journeyed up through South America and Central America until they arrived at the Texas border. So um, they contacted a Welcome Network, and Tony had said, yes, we have host families that are willing to, to have them come live with them. After they had been here about a week, we invited the first Congolese family over here because we thought, you know, have them meeting somebody, you know, that was from Congo, that would be helpful and it would let them feel at ease. So when they came in, I went and picked them up, and when they came in, the, the family came in, they, were, they had a husband, wife, and five kids. They came in, they were in the kitchen, and then our family came out. When they saw each other, all of a sudden, they start <laughs> screaming and, and like, and crying and, I asked the mom, I said, do you guys know each other? And she goes, yes. And she said to the father of the first family, she said, this man was like a father to me growing up. I've known him. And to me, that was like, that was a time when, when it's, I was like, well, God must be blessing this family because, I mean, there was, I don't know how many million of people are making this trip. And then these people go through that huge journey and they end up a couple miles from each other and they know each other and it was just like, it was amazing. It, it, that was amazing. Uh, one of the ways my faith was stretched is that I thought maybe I had a better handle on hosting people from Africa because I was, um, I had lived there for two years and turns out I didn't. <laughs> but here's a family um, sitting in our living room 
um, waiting to be shown where they're going to sleep and where their bathroom is. And now that whole uh, political oppression has a, has a face to it. And I was very nervous. Um, we felt we needed to because God said, you know, be, welcome the stranger and give a cup of cold water and expecting nothing in return. And I felt pretty empty and Steve was nervous. <laughs> so between the two of us, we weren't really confident that we could do this. Uh, so my, uh, the stretch of faith was that we really had to depend on God. Um, during that time, the Lord really stretched my faith because um, opening up your home to complete strangers, people you have no idea who they are, um, it's, it's a big deal. So uh, we envisioned kind of when we said yes to hosting this family that we would bear the brunt of housing them, feeding them, driving them around, getting them to the health clinic, um, you know, really doing whatever needed to be done for this family. And we were incredibly wrong. <laughs> we found that not only our church family just kind of, I mean, they stepped up above and beyond. We had people at our doors at least two, three times a day, picking up people or dropping them off, inviting them over for dinners, giving us uh, financial assistance in whatever we might need help in and taking care of them. Um, yeah, we just felt we were, we thought we were gonna do it by ourselves and we were definitely not alone in helping this family. We were part of a family that was helping them. When you do something like this, it's it's just it can be very stressful, and I I, I would get very nervous, um, and and I'm a bit of a worrier in every, anyway. So, but the the thing that I noticed was um, when when we were all here, and I could have been worried about a bunch of stuff, and then we would all get together and we would pray. All that nervousness and everything went right away. It just did, and that was that was pretty cool. Uh, some of the difficulties we expected to encounter with the family from the Congo obviously is a language barrier and a cultural barrier. But one of the unexpected difficulties were rooted in, in our expectations of what it would be like to have another family live with us. I naively thought she and I would become best friends and we would do all my housework side by side. <laughs> Um, and that didn't happen, but was it just our expectations going in that were so different from reality, but their expectations of what life would be like once they finally arrived in the United States. I thought it was a real blessing that even though we had a hard time communicating, that we were all praying um, in our own languages to the same God and we were like a big family then, like we were, you know, our brothers and sisters in Christ from another country. I think what I learned from this experience is that when you feel God tugging at your heart for something, you just need to go for it. You just need to go with it. And, and um, it's not always easy, but there's a reason for it and you just got to do it.
Yeah, other people have asked me if I would do this again, um, and was I happy to do it. I'm, I'm very glad that we did this. Um, it was an, an amazing experience. It wasn't always easy. Um, it was like a roller coaster. Um, I mean, there was highs, there was lows, there was all that, but um, I'm really glad that we did it. Steve, I noticed at the end, he didn't say that he'd do it again, uh, <laughs> but he said it was a blessing. And uh, to sum up, you know, three host families and eight months later, we've helped three Congolese families uh, gain some stability, some next steps on their journey. You've met some of them. You've come alongside some of them. You've made meals for them. You've given grocery gift cards for them. I'm just talking about things I know living word people have done. Uh, you've driven some of them to English classes. Uh, and by the way, Akiko has been part of our ministry as well with some ESL things that we were doing for, for about a year. <clears throat> they worshipped with you one night a few months ago when we had that special abounding comp concert. Um, so we're inviting people to consider hosting more families. Uh, I, I apologize for the first week to Steve and Amy that we threw them into chaos now, months later, I don't apologize because I've come to embrace the Welcome Network's role. We are here to throw churches into chaos, and so, uh, but hopefully we do that in a, in a spirit-filled way. Usually when you show a video, you're almost done. I do have a bit more, so hang in there with me. Um, my, my Welcome Network, Dave and I, Dave's here with us. Uh, Dave and Kate had just joined us uh, about two months ago, and we're very blessed to have them working with the Welcome Network. And so if you want to talk more about... Um, potentially hosting a Congolese family, um, Dave and I can set a time to meet and pray with you about that. But let me be clear, we don't really know what we're doing. Uh, we don't. We are, we are doing this because God has called us to do this, and God does know what he's doing. Uh, when the first family arrived, I was like, how in the world are we even going to communicate with them? It was November. We picked them up from a Greyhound bus station. There was a mom, a dad, and five kids. They didn't even have coats. They'd never seen snow. They came in the middle of snow. And I said, how are we going to even speak with them? And God said to me, didn't you meet a guy from Congo last year? And I said, I did, God? And he reminded me that he was right. God usually is. And he, he reminded me that Felice Mabibia from Crosspoint Church is, is originally from Congo. And not only that, but he speaks his native language is Lingala, which is the same language that these Congolese families speak. So Felice has been a crucial part of what we've been doing. Um, and, and just what Steve was saying, think about this. Families that were half a world away 11 months ago, now we get to be friends with them. Here in Lansing, Illinois, in Hammond, Indiana, it's, it's crazy. We get to share meals with them and go eat birthday cake together and mourn with them and celebrate with them. And I think I might have... Yeah, maybe the next picture even. Uh, and imagine what happens when our children are exposed to this kingdom work. It changes their perspective. When the Hadleys foster an asylum-seeking 
that's John Leitzel's word for this hosting. It's, he says it's like fostering. We don't know how long they're going to be with us. They might be with us for six weeks or six months. And so John says it's a lot like fostering. But when the Hadleys foster an asylum-seeking family, that's something their sons are going to remember. And last week, Jenny and I were visiting another family uh, to celebrate the daughter Gabrielle's birthday. And their youngest daughter was playing with our daughter's hair. And all the kids were playing a board game together and, and laughing. And my son Evan and their son Jonas were running around their tiny home chasing each other. Later today, two of their daughters are coming to my daughter's birthday party. That evening when we got home, Jenny observed what an enriching experience that is for our children. To be exposed to friendships from other cultures, to see as they grow older the joy and blessing of being able to serve God and serve the gospel to people. Um, you can go to the next slide. Uh, one thing I want to mention is Mercy Hill, one of the things we do once a year, we, we serve mostly people here in the United States, but because the refugee program is kind of shut down administratively in our government, we decided to start going to where the refugee crisis is. And so we have a partnership with an organization in Lebanon called Kids Alive. And uh, you, thank you. you. You've probably prayed for us, hopefully, uh, about our, our, the trip that, that uh, we went on. But I want you to know, three out of the six, I'm actually not there, that's a different story. My passport had issues, uh, and I had to come a few days later. But three out of the six Mercy Hill folks who went had never, had to get passports because they'd never been out of the United States before. And their first trip out, we cart them off to the Middle East. But God used them tremendously. And um, I just want to brag for a minute. I'll show the next slide here. Um, I got to see my wife, Jenny, minister to 24 Syrian refugee mothers and share the story of Rahab and how God has removed Rahab's shame and how he can do that for each of those women as well. Um, I think we might have a, 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 one more slide with, yeah, there's Corey. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, Corey, Corey came with us two years ago, and then God emotionally manipulated him into going longer to Lebanon. So... Uh, the Holy Spirit does that. But, Corey, by the way, I know you've been trying to meet with us, and we got to do that. Maybe God's delaying your visa so that we can finally meet up together. So let's do that. Um, I'll just, I'll, I'll kind of briefly, briefly tell this next story. Uh, so in 2017, we had a chance to resettle two Syrian sisters, Noor and Mays. And uh, Noor was going to be here today, and it turns out it's a, it's a, it's a Muslim holiday, and so she culturally she had to celebrate with her family. Um, but we resettled these two sisters into Crown Point, and, uh, and I asked them as part of what we're supposed to do uh, the second day. I said, do you want us to help you find any place to worship? And I didn't say church or mosque or anything. I just said any place to worship. And Mays, the older sister in the middle, she said, uh, she said no, we're not a religious family. We don't want anything like that. And, and then a month later, um, what happened was we had just had a lot of volunteers carting them around to medical appointments, getting them started with high school, things like this. And a month later, uh, Mays turned to me and she said, you know what, all the people you've had helping us, we, we under, we've come to understand they're Christians and they're the best people we've met here in the United States. And yes, we would like to be connected to a place of worship. And yeah, and... Uh, and you probably, you, you know Isabel. You guys all know Isabel, right? Um, well, I don't know if you know this, but 
but Living Words loaned her out to us two days a week. And so she's been helping with the Welcome Network with our clients, and she's also had a chance to become friends with Noor. And so you, you might not know this, but Noor has come several times to Living Word Church on, on a Wednesday night, I think, at least once, Tuesday, on a Tuesday night with the young people. And she's being exposed to the gospel through Living Word Church and through Isabel. And so this is just, again, a beautiful, beautiful picture of, of how God is doing things. Um, I'm going to wrap up here. I, you, I don't know if you're, do you guys get programs here? I didn't get one when I came in, but no. Uh, or something like, okay. I'm just curious if the program said the title of, the, of what I was speaking about. Okay, so it didn't. So I don't even have to explain it, uh, which is good because it didn't, the title didn't really make sense based on what I've been saying. But, uh, but our new, our, our, what we want to do is we want to help the church in our area regain its kingdom belonging by helping the stranger regain their belonging. And, and, and how that perfectly sums it up is if you turn with me to 1 Peter 2, and I'm going to finish pretty much with this. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12. And it's actually up on the screen too. Uh, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And then verse 11, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Dave read another passage, 2 Corinthians 5, where God tells us that we are his ambassadors as if God is making his appeal through us. God is making his appeal through us. And, he's, and it's interesting. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, what, what does he call us right then after that? Sojourners and exiles. If, if, if there's a, we are a people wandering, we are a people still waiting for our kingdom, it's not here yet, we shouldn't expect that we're gonna fit into the cultural kingdom of this age, we shouldn't expect that we're going to easily slide into the cultural kingdom of America or any other empire, our role is to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us. And given that context for who we are as a church, we regain our kingdom belonging when we find those who are also needing to regain their belonging. And yeah, if, who should we find camaraderie with? Who should we find solidarity with? Other sojourners, other strangers, because we are broken reeds and sojourners ourselves. We've, to varying degrees, lost our saltiness but, and buried our lights under the bushel basket of the American dream or other things, but we regain that by getting back to kingdom work. And so the last thing is four takeaways. Um, one, just pray and listen for white sheet moments when God's telling you to do something. It could be interrupting moments sometimes. Look for weekly welcoming chances. It doesn't even have to be an immigrant or a refugee. If someone moves in on your block, bake cookies for them. Uh, you know, if, if you're, you go to the park and bring extra granola bars and waters and, and see if anyone needs something. Uh, ju just start with things like that and, uh, you know, and, and give us a call. You can volunteer with us a day, a week in the office or, or other things. We have a lot of needs as well. Uh, consider fostering or hosting 
or consider coming to Lebanon next year with us. And then talk to Isabel about other ways to volunteer and, and to give because she's our kind of connection here at Living Word, okay? My guess is that if you do some of these things, you're going to find yourself regaining your kingdom belonging as well. So let, let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this opportunity to be part of um, this, this month of talking about vulnerable people. Thank you, that, thank you that we are bruised reeds. Thank you that we are sojourners because it means we don't have to try to fit in here. We can be the church. We can be the people of God. And I pray for living word that you will help us, help them to, uh, to do that more and more uh, each day. And I pray that this message would be a catalyst for them. In Jesus' name, amen.